Good morning. I'd like to begin our teaching time this morning by reading a portion of Scripture from 2 Peter chapter 2. But there were also false prophets among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you. They will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the sovereign Lord who bought them, bringing swift destruction on themselves. Many will follow their shameful ways and will bring the way of truth into disrepute. In their greed, these teachers will exploit you with stories they have made up. Their condemnation has been hanging over them, and their destruction has not been sleeping. These men are springs without water and mist driven by a storm. Blackest darkness is reserved for them, for they mouth empty, boastful words, and by appealing to the lustful desires of sinful human nature, they entice people who are just escaping from those who live in error. They promise them freedom while they themselves are slaves of depravity. For a man is a slave to whatever has mastered him. If they have escaped the corruption of the world by knowing our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and are again entangled in it and overcome, they're worse off at the end than they were at the beginning. It would have been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than to have known it and then to turn their backs on the sacred command that was passed on to them. Of them, the Proverbs are true. A dog returns to its vomit, and a sow that is washed goes back to her wallowing in the mud. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the Word of God, and I pray this morning as we take a look at the Scriptures that talk about false teachers, that our eyes would be open to the responsibility that we have to seek your truth and your Word and avoid all those things that can trip us up along the way. We pray that your Spirit would have your way with our hearts, this morning, that your will would be done. In Jesus' name, amen. We have been making our way through the second letter that Peter wrote to those that were scattered throughout Asia Minor because of the persecution of their day. Uh, There was a sense of urgency uh, in Peter's letter for two reasons. One, the people had an ongoing problem of the persecution that had driven them from their homes, driven them from their families, driven them from their jobs. Uh, Think for just a minute about the effect that this pandemic has had upon you. It goes on and on and on, and we wonder when the end of it is over. And we are right now at the one-year point of all the major impacts of this pandemic, and we're weary already. But these people had known a persecution that was going to radically affect their lives for decades. And... There's an urgency to that. What do we do? Where do we go? And Peter says, I want to remind you of some things that you've got to have at the heart of your mind in order to make your life happen for Jesus Christ. The second reason for urgency was Peter had a revelation that he was soon going to go home to be with the Lord. And indeed, the Neronian persecutions would uh, take his life soon after he wrote this epistle to these people. And so with that sense of urgency, he wanted them to remember some things. And the first thing is, is that they had everything that they needed. Uh, Whenever we get to the passing on of one generation to the next, people begin to ask the question, have I told them everything that they need to know? And do they know everything that I've given to them? And Peter says, you have everything that you need pertaining to life and godliness. Your faith needs to lead to love for God and for your brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ and for the lost world around you. The second thing he said is, is that you will have to seek truth 
as you continue down your pathway of life, and that truth is to be found in the word of the prophets made more sure, the scriptures that have been entrusted to us. And so that's the first part of the epistle. But now Peter gives us some stern warning, and he takes an entire chapter to do that, chapter 2. We know that we have everything that we need pertaining to life and godliness. We trust in God's word in times of trouble and transition. And today we want to talk about the need to determine the difference between fact and fake, between fact and fiction. We need to acknowledge the problem of false teaching. Uh, I am, uh, I've been in the New York area now for uh, 22 years, and it's been interesting to hear some of the urban legends that have come around during the time. Uh, I have driven across the George Washington Bridge with many native New Yorkers, and I've heard comments like this. Did you know that in the foundation of this bridge, there are over 30 bodies that have been buried because once they started to pour the concrete, people fell in and they had to um, keep pouring it. They couldn't stop. And so there's all these bodies buried in there. And I've heard a dozen. I've heard 30. I've heard two dozen. I've heard everything under the sun. The reality is, is that there's probably some pretty solid historical documentation that there's three people that fell in during the pouring of that concrete, both in the abutments and in the foundation of the towers. Uh, but it's amazing how it gets twisted and how it gets turned, and we have to determine the difference between fact and fiction, between fact and fake. Another interesting little story that I've heard since I've been here about Manhattan is back in the 1830s. Uh, there was a retired shipbuilder who uh, started to spread a rumor that um, the southern part of Manhattan, with all of its buildings, was getting too much weight upon it, and the only way that they could possibly save it is if they saw off the lower half of Manhattan, tow it out into the sea, turn it around, and bring it back and reattach it, and then the foundation will be sure. And it even got to the place that they hired people to do this, and there were workers there, but on the day that it was to be done, even though there was concerns that Long Island was in the way and that they would never be able to fit it all through the opening, uh, the man who spread this rumor never showed up. Uh, went into hiding, and this became one of the urban legends of New York during the time. Uh, much has been written about it in the meantime. Uh, the account that I read was in a Reader's Digest book in the 1960s entitled uh, Stories of the Most Fascinating Characters of Hoax and Fraud. Uh, but recent writers have said that this is even a hoax about a hoax, that the story never happened, and it was all just urban legend. And I have shared with you many times throughout my pastoral ministry that I have a firm belief that mankind can believe anything. They can convince themselves that anything is true. And that's why people would follow Hitler into war and, and follow the emperor of Japan into war. will follow anybody to do anything. They'll die for a cause. That's why there's Islam. That's why there's Hindus. That's why there's Christians. And so, so the question that you have to ask is, is if I'm going to believe something, how do I know that it's true? And Peter is making the affirmation that we were eyewitnesses of what we saw take place in the life of Jesus. Eyewitnesses of the miracles that he performed. Eyewitnesses of the glory that was revealed on the Mount of Transfiguration. Eyewitnesses of the crucifixion and the resurrection from the dead. We know that Jesus was raised from the dead. And we declare these things to you beyond any reasonable doubt. That's what we use in the courtrooms because <clears throat> you can convince yourself that you don't have enough evidence to believe anything. And frequently, when I've shared the gospel with people, they said, I'm just not sure that what you're telling me is true. 
And eventually, you've got to become convinced beyond a reasonable doubt that something that took place is true. But today, we want to talk about one of the key problems in the battle for truth. And that is, is not only will people be capable of believing anything that is said or spread around, and after the year of 2020, and now that we're into 2021, you know that between political divides and conspiracy theories and all of the rest, that it's indeed true. Not only will people believe anything that's true, but people will tell you anything that you can possibly conceive of. And many of them with wrong motives. And they either want to prove their point or they want to protect who they are or they just want to destroy things. Uh, we need to acknowledge the problem of false teaching and that there's difficulty in believing what people say and that we've got to have a source of truth. And if that truth is going to be the Word of God, we have to take a look at people that are teaching the Word of God and say, are they telling it to me the way it is presented? And are they giving me the truth? And so here's the simple statement that Peter makes after he tells you, I want to remember these things. And after he says that our hope is found in, in the Word of God made more sure because we witnessed what happened to Jesus, that there were also false prophets among the people back in those days when the prophets were speaking just as there will be false teachers among you. And so the Christian has to be on his guard. The Christian has to be discerning and be able to figure out what is true and what is not true. And just because somebody stands in the pulpit doesn't mean that they're speaking the truth. It's your responsibility to hold me accountable. It's your responsibility to hold Pastor Caleb accountable to the truth of the Word of God. And I'm not talking about the minor differences in interpretation and the things that we all dispute about, but I'm talking about the core beliefs of the Christian faith and what the Word of God teaches beyond a shadow of a doubt, that there is a Creator, and that Creator has revealed Himself through the course of time in the Scriptures that we now hold and know as the Bible, and that it speaks of Jesus who was sent by God to pay the penalty for the sins of mankind, that He's going to come again, and He's going to redeem His people for eternity. But there were false prophets among those in the Old Testament. And uh, if you've read the Old Testament, you know that there was a harsh punishment prescribed by God for those that would teach untruth. Uh, they were to be stoned to death if the things that they said would happen never came to be. Uh, there were people that have made predictions in recent times about the coming of Jesus. The dates have come and gone. Uh, I'm glad that we're past that command to stone people. It was harsh, and yet it was needed at the time. People pro proclaimed that uh, Donald Trump was going to win the election. There was one large ministry that closed down because the minister predicted that and it didn't come true. And at least he had the wisdom to know that he had ruined his credibility. We need to be careful of the things that we think God is telling us to do. Um, I've had people come to me and throughout the years, uh, and when I've challenged them about something that they're doing, a behavior that they have, they say, but God's leading me to do this. And that's, you've got to be real careful when you start to talk like that. I believe in God's leading, and I believe in His work. But the one thing that you need to be sure about is not the things that you think you feel God wants you to do, but what He has told you to do in the Scriptures. And the tragedy is, is that we do a lot of things that we believe that we're led of God to do, but yet we disregard His Scriptures that Peter has said have been made so sure because of what Jesus has accomplished in His life and His death and His resurrection. There were false prophets among the people in the Old Testament. 
And Peter says that throughout the course of the church life, there will be false teachers among you, and we need to be aware of it. We need to look for them. We need to root them out. And the way that we know that what they're teaching is true and not true is that how does it hold up to the Word of God? And it's interesting that a vast majority of the false teachers that are in the church today, the one thing that they tell you is, is that we just can't trust the Word of God. It's full of myths. It's full of fables. It was written by men. It was used by the church and religious communities for good reason, so I'm going to believe it and I'm going to teach it, but it's really not true. And in the early part of the church history, one of the things that the false teachers did more than anything else was that they tried to make Jesus out to be less than who he was, less than the Son of God, less than the perfect sacrifice, less than the one that was sent by the God that created the universe to come down and give his life as a ransom for sins. And it's all about Jesus, and it's all about the fulfillment of the word of God. But there will be false teachers among you. And so here's a handful of things from Second Peter chapter 2 that I want you to know. And we're not going to exhaust this chapter. I urge you to read all of the verses. I urge you to take a look at everything that's written in here. But I'm going to give you the heart of the message. The first thing is, is that yes, it is a conspiracy. Uh, one of the things in the discussion today about what is fact and what is fiction, uh, you hear about it in fake news and you hear whatever else is, is that there's a conspiracy to do that or a conspiracy to do this. In other words, that some people got together in secret and they worked together to spread the lies and the untruths that are around there. And the most important thing that you need to realize is, is uh, don't try to guess whether there's a conspiracy of men. Know this much. There's a conspiracy of this, the enemy, Satan, to destroy anything that God is doing. And Paul puts it this way, that um, we wrestle not against flesh and blood in Ephesians chapter 6, but we rest, wrestle against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. There is a spiritual conspiracy of, afoot, and the enemy will use men for bad just as God will use men and women for good. And we need to understand that, that there's a spiritual conspiracy and so God has told us that we need to be aware of the fact that there are lies. 2 Peter 2, 1 tells us that they will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the sovereign Lord who bought them, bringing swift destruction on themselves. And it always has amazed me how wicked and evil the minds of men can be to, to achieve and accomplish evil things. The things that go on in secret. And those are the things that we fear more than anything else. That's why in the public or in the government of the United States of America and in the courts of the United States of America, things are supposed to be done publicly. They were not to be done in the private courtroom of the king. They were not to be done in the private place of the police department and all of that. They were to be done out in the open in the public view. And these that will come and share these wicked heresies and the things that would destroy the church, it'll be done in secret. And they'll introduce destructive heresies, even denying the sovereign Lord who bought them. So it doesn't matter if it's some of the heresies of the past couple of uh, centuries, the Mormon that have destroyed the word of God and tell, told us that there's more revelation. There's others that want to tell you. One of the most deceitful ways that people become false teachers is they fill in the uncertain areas of scripture. 
They fill in the gray areas of Scripture and says, we know what that means. And so that's why, even though Jesus said, no one knows the day or the time of my coming again, people then look at the areas that are vague in the Scripture and they say, I can tell you what this means, and it means that Jesus will come at this time, or Jesus has done that, or God has done this. The other thing that is so deceitful is, is that we, in the privacy of our minds, we create God in our own image. He's more human than he is deity. And we just won't let the scriptures speak for themselves. But they will do this in secret. Destructive heresies. Des heresies that even deny the sovereign Lord who bought them. And it's interesting in Western society today that one of the crucial problems that people have when they think about God is, is that I'm not a person in need of redemption. And if you wonder what makes Gateway Church who it is, there are many things that we believe the Scripture teaches us, and one of the most crucial things is this, that mankind is desperately in need of redemption, that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and that it is only through Jesus that we'll ever receive the ability to go before the God, the holy God that created this universe. And so it is that there's those that will come along and tell you that we don't need that redemption, that you're good enough and that you can make it on your own good works. We must not deny the Lord or what the Lord has accomplished through Jesus Christ. The next thing that we find in this passage of Scripture is, is that, yes, we do need to be careful of the crowd. And I've shared this problem with you. Uh, we are a democratic society and we believe in the rule of the of the majority. And it's been a good tool, but it is also one that has led us to make some crazy decisions in this nation. And we're at the place now where because we have, as a majority of people, abandoned the morality of scriptures, we're making some decisions that are incredibly destructive, decisions that are dangerous in the areas of morality and what's right or wrong, and it's not having anything to do with the word of God. And the crowd says it's okay. But the mob is the one that cried out, crucify Jesus. It's the mob in America that said slavery was going to be okay. It's the crowd that can urge you on to do things that you might not do on your own, and you need to be careful of the crowd. And just because a lot of people go a certain direction doesn't make it right. And so Peter says in verse 2, many will follow the shameful ways of these teachers and will bring the way of truth into disrepute. Their motivation, it says, is greed. In their greed, these teachers will exploit you with stories they have made up. And this is in contrast to what Peter has said about the, the fact that they did not present to you cleverly devised stories, but what they witnessed with their own eyes. Their condemnation has been hanging over them and their destruction has not been sleeping. But many will follow the shameful ways. And just because a lot of people believe something doesn't make it right. And that's why Peter always points back to the truth of the Word of God as the thing that governs all that we are and all that we do. What we know about God and what we know about Jesus Christ and His redemption. Don't let the world convince you of some other way. Many will follow their shameful ways. And unfortunately, many even within the church will follow the shameful ways of false teachers. Uh, Jesus, in the middle of His ministry, began to declare that he was the Christ, the anointed one, and that he would have to die for the sins of mankind. And it was at that point in time that many began to fall away from him because they wanted a Savior that was going to rip Rome off the shoulders of the nation of Israel.
They wanted a political leader. They wanted a political saint and deliverer. And Jesus said, I came to solve the problem of mankind's sins. Many fell away from Jesus. And you had a choice at that point in time. You could be like the few disciples that eventually got fewer and fewer and fewer until Jesus, the night that he was betrayed, even his disciples fled. Would you have been like John and those few women that were there at the foot of the cross, looking at Jesus and wondering what lies ahead, looking at the suffering Savior on that cross and wondering if there was any hope for you or anything that you did? But if we follow the crowd, we can easily abandon the things of Jesus. Jesus would say, wide is the way that leads to destruction, but narrow is that road that leads to truth and leads to redemption. Many will follow their shameful ways, and you need to be careful of the crowd. You need to be careful of the limits of democracy. You need to be careful of the limits of the majority of people, because if they do not believe in the word of God, that majority will be led astray. And so there were majorities in nations that have gone to war for Hitler, majorities in nations that have gone to war for other leaders, and they have died for them. They died for Allah. They've died for any reason under the sun, and they've convinced themselves that it's right. And it's greed that often leads these teachers to exploit people with the stories that they have made up. And Peter says, beware of the crowd that follows them. And then also know that it may look like these people are prospering for a time. It may look like the crowds are following them, that they're winning many people over. And just because a church has 30,000 people in a stadium doesn't make it the right thing if they're not teaching the Word of God. Peter would say that of these false teachers, they are indeed doomed. In verse 3, it says this, that their condemnation has been long hanging over them and their destruction has not been sleeping. And this is crucial in what Peter's going to reveal in the next chapter as we take a look at the second coming of Jesus Christ next week and the fact that uh, because of the persecution that had come so violently on the people that Peter was writing to, they were convinced that this was the end times that the apostles had been speaking of. This was the trouble and the tribulation and the testing that was coming upon them that was spoken of in Jesus in the Gospel of Matthew and spoken of by the Apostle John and spoken of by Paul in Second Thessalonians and that that it was going to be soon that Jesus was coming back and they were beginning to ask the question, how long do we have to suffer and how long do we have to wait? And Peter was just assuring them that it may look like they prosper for a season, but their destruction has not been sleeping. And so as you look through the next verses of this passage of Scripture, uh, you'll find that Peter rehearses over and over again that know this, that if God judged the angels in Genesis for the sin that they had committed. And if God judged um, the people in the time of Noah for the sin that they had committed, and if God is bringing judgment at various times through the periods of human history and, and angelic history and the history of this universe and all that God has created, that their destruction is fast coming upon them. And it's all in God's time, not your time. And so wait for God to bring those things. And so the next thing we find is is that the teaching of these false teachers will be marked by an elite arrogance. They'll tell you that it's only the fools that will believe what the apostles have been teaching, but we are teaching things that are higher and better and far greater than any else. And if anything plagues 
the division of the United States of America is, is that there's an elite arrogance in the liberal thought of our universities and an elite arrogance in the liberal thought of our politicians. And that's why it leads them to call um, others deplorables and others fools and others people that just don't fully understand all that they need to know and understand. There's an elite arrogance. And that's why if you believe that you hold the truth in the scripture, you need to hold it humbly. And if anything happened to people like Peter, people like John, and people like Paul, God took them from a place of arrogance to a place of humility. You know the story of Paul when he met Jesus. His name was Saul, which meant great one. Saul meant strong one. It was the name of the king of Israel that had been the biggest and the tallest and the strongest back in the days prior to David. And God said to Paul, you're no, you're no longer going to be named Saul, but I'm going to call you Paul, which means small one or meek one. And I have to tell you that many times I've asked my mother, why did you have to give me a name like that? Uh, but it's the name that was owned by those whose lives had been changed by encountering the person of Jesus Christ. Peter was the one who always was jumping forward and saying, I'll do whatever you want me to do. And then struggling to realize that it wasn't as easy as he thought drowning in the waters until Jesus lifted him up, abandoning Jesus at the crucifixion until Jesus restored him, uh, shaking in fear until the Spirit filled him on that day of Pentecost and he would stand up and preach before the multitudes and change the history of this world. And so it is that beware of those that, whose teaching is marked by an elite arrogance rather than a sense of humility. And so in 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 10, Peter says that bold and arrogant, these men are not afraid to slander celestial beings. Yet even angels, although they are stronger and more powerful, do not bring slanderous accusations against such beings in the presence of the Lord. But these men blaspheme in matters they do not understand. And blasphemy is a speaking against the things of God and against the things of heaven. Speaking against the things that they don't fully understand. And God is the one who has revealed to us what goes on in the heavenlies. And the false teachers will tell you that why on earth would you believe these things that God has revealed about himself? And that's blasphemy. Why would you believe things about Jesus Christ, that he was the Holy One of God that redeemed you? You speak against Jesus, and it's blasphemy. Arrogant, bold, not afraid to slander the things of the heavens and the things that God has accomplished throughout history and mankind. That's the mark of the false teaching. And we have people that are incredibly arrogant in their teaching, the smirk on their face. Uh, that's what annoys me about politicians more than anything else. They don't hold any position humbly. But there just seems to be a sense of smirking and a sense of arrogance. And I would challenge you to start to take a look at the faces of politicians and see which ones have the face of humility and which ones have the face of arrogance? Which ones have the face of superiority? And which ones have the face that say that you're a fool for believing anything other than what I'm telling you? And so not only are they marked by elite arrogance, but what you have to understand is, is they appear full, but in reality, they're vacuous and empty. And in 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 17, Peter says, these men are springs without water and mists driven by a storm. Blackest darkness is reserved for them, for they mouth empty, boastful words. And by appealing to the lustful desires of sinful nature, 
They entice people who are just escaping from those who live in error. So there's two things about this emptiness that you need to understand. The first thing is, is that anybody who's not teaching things that hold to the standards that God has revealed in his word, they're like a spring <clears throat> without water. And uh, just like I spoke about light last week and the fact that we don't fully appreciate this illustration of light, we don't fully understand the illustration about water, um, we turn on the faucet in every building we go into and there's water. We have water everywhere that we possibly can imagine all around us. Fresh water that you can drink without any fear and it's always there and it's always present. Stores that you can go in and you can find bottled water. But in this day and time, um, water, you judged your journey by how you could get to the next spot where you would find water. And if you got there and the spring was dry, it was often despair. Um, I've done backpacking trips in the mountains where you planned your trip so that you could get to the next water hole and know that you had water. And you always wanted to make sure that it was there. But traveling in the desert, if you got to the place where you would hope there was a spring and there was no water, but that's what you're going to find from the false teachers. They're going to promise you that they are full of the water that you need to sustain you, but they're empty. And they're dark and they're black and that's what's reserved for them. And they mouth empty, boastful words. And they appeal to the lustful desires of sinful human nature. And what we find about false teaching is, is it's often revealed by the fact that it leads to the very behavior that God has condemned. And so take a look at our politicians and take a look at our liberal theologians today and how they promote the things that God has said are wrong. They promote sexual immorality. They promote all kinds of foolishness about sexual identity. They promote all kinds of wrongness about what God really intends for us to do. And they pollute the word lie and say, we'll tell you what it means to love. Or they pollute the word love and they tell you what it means to love. And they have no clue. Empty, out of water, just a mist driven by a storm that is gone as soon as the sun comes out and shines upon it. And one day the son of Jesus Christ, we're going to find in the next chapter, will shine upon all the false teaching of this day. Um, I'm going to just give you an example of one of the things that I know in my heart because of what I've read in the scriptures. Um, I have a long list of questions that I would like to ask my God or ask of his angels and his representatives when I get to heaven. It has to do with human suffering and it has to do with why he's waited and it has to do with why he did things a certain way or why he allowed other things. And it has to do with a lot of those things. But I am confident of this, that when I get to heaven, I'm going to be so taken by the person of God and by the person of Jesus Christ that the, question will be willing, the questions will be willing to wait for an eternity for an answer because I'll understand the whole, begin to understand the holiness of God for the first time. And so it is that we're going to find that one day this light is going to be shined, shown upon the foolishness of mankind and his teaching. And in this interim, will you believe what the false teachers have shared or will you do what Peter has asked you to do in chapter 1 and remember what God has asked you to remember? That we have this word surely given to us, affirmed, given by the prophets, fulfilled by Jesus Christ, and we need to love it and know it and follow it. It says that they promise people freedom in verse 19 while they themselves are slaves of depravity. 
for a man is a slave to whatever has mastered him. And if they have escaped the corruption of the world by knowing our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and are again entangled in it and overcome, they're worse off at the end than they were at the beginning. And God has told us that we need to be aware that if we claim to be a Christian, don't stray, don't drift. This was the warning of Paul in 1 Timothy chapter 4. This was the warning of the writer of Hebrews in chapter 6 and chapter 1 that we need to be so careful that we don't drift away from the gift that has been given to us. Don't let the false teachers, even through a crack in the door of your life, but let the word in at every opportunity. Let the word of God be the thing that tells you what you will do on any given day. And my hope and prayer for us as a church is that we'll know how to handle the false teaching that surrounds us at every turn. And so there is a conspiracy afoot. And it's a conspiracy, not just of men, but a conspiracy of the evil one that wants to destroy everything that God has done. Satan. Beware of the crowd. Don't follow just where everybody goes, but follow the word, even if it's just a few of you going together. Know that they look like they prosper for a time, but their way is doomed, and they're marked by an elite arrogance. It's one of the tells of the false prophet. Beware of that arrogance and look for the one that teaches humbly and look for the one that teaches the truth of the word. And then they appear full, but in reality, they're vacuous and empty. Let's pray. Father, we realize that there is false teaching all around us. And I pray that we would humbly come back to your word over and over and over again until it controls everything that we do. Thank you for giving us everything that we need pertaining to life and godliness. Father, I pray for everyone in this church that they wouldn't be lured away by the false teaching of this day and its time. I pray that they wouldn't be lured away by the empty and dry springs and the vacuousness of those that tell us that they have all the answers. I pray, Father, that we would be able to see the elite arrogance that is behind what they're doing and that we would just come humbly to you and your word. Thank you for your revelation. Thank you for what you have taught us. Thank you for what you have done. And we ask these things this morning in Jesus' name. Amen.